first lesson for this second Sunday after the Epiphany is found recorded in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Prophetic vision was not common. Now it happened that Eli's eyes had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. Once when Eli was lying down in his place and the Lord's lamp had not yet gone out, Samuel was lying down in the Lord's temple where God's ark was. The Lord called Samuel and Samuel said, Here I am. He ran to Eli and said, I am here since you called me. Eli, Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Then the Lord called once more, Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, I am here since you called me. He answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel had not yet experienced the Lord's presence. That is, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel for the third time. So he got up and went to Eli and said, I am here since you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the young man. So Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and once again lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there and called as he had the other times. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, beginning at the 12th verse. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted for me, but I will not allow anything to control me. Food are, foods are for the belly, and the belly is for foods, but God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then remove the members of Christ and make them members with a prostitute? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For it says, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of John chapter 1 beginning at the 43rd verse. The next day Jesus wanted to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Come and see, Philip told him. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Truly, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus replied, You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Amen, amen, I tell you. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the Gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we consider verses 1 through 10, and it is that last verse I would like to read once again. The Lord came and stood there and said, as he had the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and once again, heirs of everlasting life, I bet you have maybe heard the saying that God gave us two ears and one mouth because he intended us to listen more than we speak, which is usually the opposite of what really happens. Now, I cannot find in the Holy Scriptures that that really being true, but I do know this to be true, that in order to be a prophet, that the first requirement to serve the Lord as a faithful prophet of God, you first must listen. Otherwise, you cannot be a faithful prophet of God. The words concerning listening took place at a time when Samuel was very young. Some would say that he was probably a teenager. We know from the historian Josephus that he claimed that Samuel at this time was actually 12 years old. Scripture doesn't say that for sure. But it was a very dark time. And when I speak of a dark time, it was a very dark time politically. It was a very dark time spiritually. In fact... People were getting away from God's word. And what was happening is they were becoming more and more godless. And wherever there is godlessness, then what is always right at the door as well is wickedness. Especially not just towards God, but when you start hating God, the love of most will grow cold. And so the way people treated each other. They were under the spiritual leadership of a group that was called the Judges. But now Samuel, who will actually be the last of the Judges, is going to institute two new institutions. 
and dealing with the people both politically and spiritually. He will be the one who will, will anoint the first two kings of Israel, and therefore he will introduce the monarchy. And along with that, Samuel will actually be setting up the institution of prophet. Now, if that seems a little alarming, because it, it ought not to be. Yes, there were prophets before, like Moses was a prophet, but it was Samuel who actually set up prophet schools for the training of prophets. In fact, Samuel is the first headmaster recorded in Scripture. Samuel was an attendant to Eli, who was priest at the time, the high priest. At a very early age, his mother would dedicate him to the Lord and to the service of the temple work. And he would become a personal attendant to Eli because Eli really did need help. His eyesight was failing him. He was near totally blind. And because of his age, he was becoming weaker and weaker. Now what's interesting is his sons did not personally attend to their father. In fact, Eli's two sons were actually rather quite the priests that angered God greatly. They were guys that when you brought in your offerings, they would go and instead of offering the, the meat to the Lord, the, the sacrifice to the Lord, they would end up taking the choice meat for themselves. They ate the best of steaks. These were the guys who, when people came, if they found themselves attracted to you, ended up having relationships outside of marriage with fellow worshipers. Eli had been warned about this over and over, and Eli, instead of stopping them, just gave them a mild, mild rebuke. This angered God, because Eli was being an unfaithful parent. In fact, he was an indulgent parent. So now, during this time, the Lord comes and speaks to Samuel, not to Eli, as one would have expected. Comes and speaks to this very young man. Now, if you've noticed, I said temple. He's working in the temple. The tabernacle, which was just a huge tent where the Ark of the Covenant was kept in, that's now gone. Oh, there's no doubt the curtain that separated the two rooms you know, the holy place and the most holy place. But at this time, they had a more permanent structure. But the structure was not in Jerusalem. It was actually King David who had moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And it would actually be under King Solomon that the Ark of the Covenant would go into the temple in Jerusalem. Here, this permanent structure is actually in Shiloh, a very small town. In fact, we know hardly anything about Shiloh except... That's where the Ark of the Covenant used to be. So now the Lord comes to Shiloh. And after Samuel just finished his evening chores, which included putting Eli to bed, he went and laid down himself in the temple area. Now when we speak temple area, more likely it was one of the supporting rooms there were other storerooms that would be around it. Even King Solomon's temple had that. And so, obviously, Samuel had to be very close to Eli so he could hear him if he called for him during the night. 
So sleeping in that, temp, in that temple area in one of those storerooms, he hears the words, Samuel. He assumes that since there's no one else here, that it has to be Eli. So he goes and gets up and goes and talks to Eli. And, and says, here I am, you called me. But Eli just sends him back and tells him to lay down. He must have been dreaming. See, Scripture tells us that Samuel didn't know the Lord. Now, if I stopped right there, that would sound quite alarming because he was a personal attendant and was helping and supporting Eli. He was in, you know, doing sacrifices. He had to know something about God. But keep in mind that what he didn't know about the Lord is the fact that God wasn't revealing himself in visions. But also keep in mind, it's quite possible he really didn't know a great deal about God. You see, the Holy Scriptures were oftentimes kept in these storerooms. We know under King Josiah, he had, when he became king, and this is centuries upon centuries later, had one of the storerooms, well, had all the storerooms cleaned out, and they actually found the original copies of Moses' scrolls. They hadn't been read, they hadn't been opened, they weren't used. Generations upon generations. So I wouldn't be surprised that he may not have known a great deal uh, from the Lord and about the Lord. Because the Holy Scriptures weren't being read. They weren't being used. And when someone doesn't use the Holy Word, when someone is not reading the Holy Word, well then what do you read? What do you use instead? Well, it's no different than what oftentimes people will use today. When you're not re re reading the written Word as recorded in the Holy Bible, when you're not taking the Bible as this is the Word of the Lord Almighty, well, then your first kind of Bible is going to be what you think it says or what you hear people tell you about the Bible. And you go with that. But over time, what you think it says can certainly change. When our thinking, as we grow older, begins to fail as well. Or then it might be even the type of Bible as we get from movies and TV. It's what we see. But I can tell you that there's hardly any movies. I can't even count it on one hand. In fact, I can maybe think of one or two that maybe I kind of like when it comes to talking about the Bible. Because directors today use so much freedom as they add their own interpretation instead of letting the word speak for itself? Or if you don't even listen to the word of God, well then any movie that inspires you or that awes you or that you think that what they're saying is a good thing to live by then becomes your Bible. Or then maybe the Bible might be your feelings which can easily come and go. You kind, of, you kind of see like all religions, it's a smorgasbord. And you bring your plate to the counter and you scoop a little here, you scoop a little there. And before you know it, what do you have is a plate full of a little of everything. 
And in fact, you can't even keep it safe, separate. It all gets mushed together. And if you're like me, when it comes to eating that kind of smorgasbord, you dig in the middle and you keep going. doesn't matter what all runs together. And that becomes a meal, a unique meal in and of itself. It's whatever you feel it to be. So what Bible do you follow? Is what you think, or see, or feel? That's not the word of God. That's your word. But our religion is based on God's word. It is by God's grace he has given us the written word. And it is by God's grace and love that we listen and follow that holy word and take it to heart. In fact, it is by God's grace that God calls any of us to faith in him. And especially, it is by God's grace that he calls Samuel to be a prophet of the Lord. After Eli tells him to go lay down, the Lord once again tells him, or calls out to him, Samuel. Samuel gets up right away, runs to Eli as a, as a faithful attendant of Eli, and Eli once again, thinking he was dreaming, just go pack and lay down, I didn't call you. And then when the third time came, he hears Samuel, Samuel gets up again and checks on Eli. And then is when Eli realizes it is not a dream and he's simply hearing things. This time, he says, when your name is called out, say the word, speak, Lord for your servant is listening. Eli puts two and two together that it is God who is calling him. Samuel goes to lay down again. And the Lord once again calls out, Samuel, Samuel! But he doesn't stop there. He actually reveals himself in visible form. We're not told what that form is. It is clearly the glory of the Lord. But what we are told is the response of Samuel. Speak, for your servant is listening. His prayer really has two parts. The main part of his prayer is speak, and Eli told him to add the words Lord. Speak, Lord, because you are the Almighty. You are the Lord. And when we use the term Lord, always think of two things. We call God Lord because first and foremost, he is the Lord who has made us. So we belong to him. We are his creatures. We're not God. He is God. We didn't create ourselves. He created us. Even knit us together in our mother's womb. And the other th reason why we call God Lord is because he is the one who saved us. Just like we can't create ourselves, we can't save ourselves. We need the Lord. And just as our creation is a miracle, our salvation is one as well. We need the Lord. The Lord who would take our place, taking on human flesh, who would take our place and suffer the punishment of sin, which is death. He is the one who on the cross won for us the forgiveness of sins and the glories of heaven. We are the creatures. We are the sinners who need a Savior. Speak, Lord, because you are that Savior, and I am not. And the second part of the prayer 
is actually about a promise. For your servant is listening. Your word is what matters. All other words come secondary. Nothing is more important than the very word of God. Oh, you will hear of a lot of important things in your life. You may have read tons of important people writing things down that has really affected you, but none of that compares to the Word of God that centers in Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of Man, who revealed that glorious truth every time he performed a miracle. This is what Samuel was called to listen to, to listen to the word of the Lord. And not only is that a requirement when it comes to being a, 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 a prophet, or even a requirement when it comes to being a priest or a king, but it is a requirement when it comes to be a worshiper of God. It's the first requirement. Listen to the word of the Lord. And that's why our worship has to center, has to, to, to be drowning in, so to speak, the word of the Lord. There is tons of arguments and fights these days concerning what style of worship you should have. Contemporary or traditional. Traditional is boring. People don't like that. Contemporary is too entertaining, and people don't like that. People will actually, they don't even care what the church teaches as long as they have the type of worship that I really like. And whether the worship is contemporary or whether the worship is traditional, I say to you, dear friends, it doesn't matter. What matters is, does it center in God's word? Does it feed you with God's word? Does it proclaim faithfully the holy name of God? This is why I personally do like our style of liturgical worship and even the common service that we're using right this minute. Common service that has historical background going back to the service that Martin Luther wrote called the Deutsche Messe, but it goes further back than that. It goes back to the time of, the, of worship in the synagogue where at the synagogue, they made sure they had the preaching of God's word. They made sure that they had singing. They sang from the Bible hymn book, the book of Psalms. They, 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 they had certainly even the expounding of God's word. And that was the sermon. We know that because Jesus actually did that and was asked to preach one time in his hometown. And they also, the service was included having prayers and offerings and our common service allows for all of that. But what I really like about the common service is the fact that the entire service is a dialogue. I don't know if you've realized that or if you've noticed that. But the entire worship service is we speak to God, God speaks to us. We open the service in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not because we're calling down God's holy name, but because those were the very words that were spoken at our baptism. When water was applied in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we come before the Lord God Almighty as baptized children of God who now come and confess their sins, 
calling for God to have mercy on us, and from the God's called worker and servant in behalf of Christ and, in, and according to his holy name, it is announced that we are forgiven, knowing the ministry of the keys, that when we forgive someone their sins, they are forgiven, as if God himself would be announcing it. And then we go and respond with, glory be to God, because we hear that we are forgiven. So we give all glory to God and sing his holy name. And then we have an opportunity to hear his holy word, and we respond with one of the Bible hymns. And then we hear his word again, and we respond with alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. And then we hear his word again, and we join together in singing that hymn of the day, which leads us to the sermon. And then we have an opportunity to respond again when we hear the preaching of God's word with even our offerings, this time with more than just singing, using what God has given us according to his name and to his glory. The whole service, God talks to us, we talk to God, trying to pick it out. What a beautiful way to worship that we come before the throne of God to hear his word and get to join the holy angels in responding to that word with hymns of praise. And therefore the hymns have to be centered in God's word, the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word. So instead of getting into an argument which worship service is better because that's the service you grew up with. What service emphasizes God's word and, and, and smothers you with God's word and wraps you tight with God's word? That's the service. I pray we never give up because it is God's word that matters. For we join Samuel in also praying as he was taught to pray, speak, Lord, because you are our maker and savior. And then comes the promise, for your servant is listening. Move, our, move each and every one of our hearts to use your ears the way they were intended to be used for your word. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.